Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. If you want to turn with me over to Luke chapter 12. Continue on in the, in the series on Luke. I believe this is week number 50. As you're turning to Luke chapter 12, um, I just want to read something from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh, and by the way, we're, we're giving an offering today as well for the church plant. So uh, did we already have the normal offering for Mercy Hill Church? Did we do that? We did. Okay. We're going to put the baskets in the back. So after the service, if, you have, if you'd like to give an offering for the church plant supporting that, we're going to have the offering in the back. As you're turning to Luke chapter 12, I just want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. You can turn to Luke 12. I want to read for us what we, the verses we looked at last week because it really sets for us the foundation of all the things we understand about God's Word and what He's saying to us. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. As we come before God, as we come to Christ Jesus, repenting of our sins, placing faith in, in the forgiveness of sins that He offers to us, we are a new creation. God does something inside of us that He recreates it. There's a new creation. That the old is gone. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's been a change of relationship between us and God. God completely changes our relationship, brings us to Himself, calls us by His name, brings us into His family, fills us with His Spirit, and gives us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And here we see Almighty God changing our relationship to Him through Christ Jesus, forgiving us of our sins, giving to us the righteousness, the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ is now credited to our account. When God looks upon us, He sees Jesus. He sees His obedience. He sees His righteousness. That's what God has done. Now, as we turn over to Luke chapter 12, we see Jesus communicating to His disciples. And as He communicates to them, we have to understand this, as being a new creation, as being one who's been completely transformed by God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there's implications for this. So there's allegiance changes, there's many changes. So let's look at Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 35. Verse 35. Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, 
so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third, which is between like midnight and 6 a.m. in the morning, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us, for us or for all? He's asking, is this for the nation of Israel? Is this for us as your disciples? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. But that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to this will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserves a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Let's pray. God, as we approach your word this morning, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the way in which you continue to speak and reveal your son Jesus Christ to us. So, Lord, I pray you would help us. Help us to see the glory written in these pages. In your name we pray. Amen. On August 29, 2005, Hurricane Katrina made landfall in Louisiana. No one could have imagined the devastation that would have followed in its path. Hurricane Katrina created a 28-foot storm surge that destroyed an inadequate levee system that was protecting New Orleans. Or if you're from New Orleans, you say New Orleans. It packed 125-mile-an-hour winds. It created $108 billion of damage. In case you're wondering, Hurricane Sandy did about $50 billion of damage, is over twice that, and left 1,836 deaths. It wasn't that the people didn't know that the hurricane was coming. They knew the hurricane was coming. They knew the hurricane was on its way towards land. But it was the fact that they weren't able to get ready in time so many people to get out. Clothes, cars, valuables, food, all sitting in the same place as it was before the storm came. We had the privilege, I think, Lorette, you went on this trip, right, to New Orleans or no? I know Courtney did. Where's Courtney at? 
Courtney, there you are. You went, you went to New Orleans, right? We went, we went to New Orleans about nine months after Hurricane Katrina. And we went to a home. We were, they were helping clear out these different homes that had been affected by the, the storm. And the home that we went into to work at had been shut up for nine months. And so the hurricane came in and the storm surge came and the, the flood came and people left. And so we went to a home that had been, the doors and windows had been shut for nine months. Now, if you leave your clothes in the wash machine after it's been washed for a little bit, like an extra day that you, sh- you know, shouldn't leave it in there, your clothes kind of stink, right? Kind of has an awful smell. That never happens in our house, but it may happen in your house. So you can imagine if you take clothes and you add 100 degree temperatures and 100% humidity and you close it in a house with no ventilation and for nine months, we went into this home and the clothes in the drawers were still soaking wet. But it was just amazing because, apart from all the other foulness of the situation, the things that we were walking, as we walked into this home that had been closed for nine months, there were still dishes in the sink. There were still blankets and and sheets on the beds. There were still clothes in the drawers. There was still stuff in the closet, still shoes by the back door. I mean, everything was just like it was nine months ago. And these poor people had no opportunity to really get ready and get out in time. Now, I don't know if the people in that home had died or not, but the place inside the home was just so, it was destroyed. But here in this passage, here in this passage, we are told a similar, in a similar way, be ready. And just like the people in, in, in New Orleans, they live below sea level, there's an understanding that you need to be ready. Because if a storm like this comes and the levees don't hold up, you need to get out of there as fast as you possibly can. We as believers, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are called to be ready. We are called to be ready. Look at the way he says it. He says, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting so that you can open the door once the master gets there. There's a suddenness to this kingdom. There is a suddenness to this message that the the master is going to come. The master is going to show up one day, and we need to be ready. One time I went to visit someone in the hospital, and at community hospital, as a pastor, you kind of sign in this logbook as you get there. And every once in a while, there's this little card that says someone in the emergency room would like to have a visit from a pastor. And so whoever's showing up at that time and signing in gets that card and goes and visits someone. So I went to visit someone, and, and as I got there, I see the card, went right into the emergency room, and here I am within a matter of like two minutes of showing up at the hospital, going to visit someone probably who had a baby. Um, I'm in the emergency room with this lady I've never met before, and we're praying together, and I'm sharing the gospel with her, and we're talking about things of the Lord. Wasn't ready for it. But here's the thing, we're called to be ready. It could happen so suddenly. We don't realize it's going to happen, but God says, be ready. The suddenness to which he comes. And he gives a story of a master who's returning from a wedding feast. And he gets to the home, 
and the servants are ready and waiting for him, you know what he does next? He waits. The master comes and serves the servants. It's a bit of a twist. We don't really, ex- we don't really expect the master to come home from a long trip and say, hey guys, thanks for waiting up for me. You know what? Why don't you sit down? It's been a long day for you. You've been waiting for me. Why don't I make you some food? Why don't I take care of you? Why don't you just let me serve you guys? That's not the way it works, right? The master comes home from a long trip and says, hey, get my bed ready. I'm, I'm going to sleep now. Please clean up. But in this, there's this twist. The master comes home and he serves and waits on his, on his servants. Why should we be ready for this, this sudden coming? There's two things I want to look at, one positively and one negatively. Verse 37, it says this, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. And he talks about God serving them. God will honor them and care for them and bless those servants who are waiting and ready. But it's also this, in verse 42, that God entrusts with more ministry, more fruitful ministries to be had. That God would somehow entrust His people with His message. That we would be those ministers of reconciliation. That God would entrust with more. But negatively, in verse 46, there is punishment, there is consequences for disobedience. And disobedience not only for what we did do, but also for what we did not do. Verse 47 says the servant knew the master's will, but didn't do it. And so there's this positive and negative reflection on this passage. Where it's not just that we're being disobedient and sinning in what we do do, but it's also knowing the things that God has called us to that we fail and neglect to do. Verse 45, there's a guy who did everything the very opposite of what the master wanted. And he's cast out, it says, with the unbelievers or the unfaithful. I would argue in this passage that this person is someone who never knew the master in the first place. And I would just encourage us as we consider, as we sit here in church, as we participate in the life of the, of, of the believers of, of Christ, just because we come to church and we give a little money and we sing some songs does not make us a Christian or a believer in God. It takes Almighty God to regenerate our hearts and our lives. That He's the one who makes us a new creation. We don't make ourselves a new creation. God is the one who makes us a new creation. And so it is, we are dependent upon God to change our lives. Now, as I thought about this way in which God describes these, these servants who are waiting upon Him, I thought of this. It's like babysitting, right? Have you ever, do you remember when you were a kid and you had a babysitter who'd come over and just talked on the phone the whole time and paid no attention to you? Does anyone relate to that? Um, I remember as a child having a babysitter come over, and we never had, we didn't have babysitters that often, but this babysitter just, as soon as my parents left, got on the phone and talked to their boyfriend the whole time. And I remember just saying, like, like, can I get some food? You know, can we do this? And it's just like, kind of like, leave me alone, kid. You know, I'm on the phone. But when you're a babysitter, some of you young girls need to pay attention to this, when you're a babysitter, you have two primary responsibilities, Right? The first one is far more important than the second, but you have two. First thing is this. You're to care for the children, right? Look after the children, make sure their needs are met, make sure they're safe, they're protected, they're, 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 
they're considered in, in everything that's going on. That's the first one. And the second one is this, to keep the home in order, right? Now, some of you, those things get reversed, depending if you're the guy or the, guy or the girl. You know, I think I come home like, hey, I don't care about the kids. Just make sure the house is in order. But we have two, there's two responsibilities as a babysitter. Take care of the kids. Take care of the house. Piece of cake, right? Now, if you hired a babysitter and came home an hour early to find the kids setting the home on fire or playing outside with no clothes on, and the, you walk in the home and the babysitter is watching TV, he's talking on the phone, just kind of completely disengaged, she'd be in trouble, right? She wouldn't be found to be a good manager of things. There'd be neglect. You wouldn't call her back. She'd be in trouble, right? Well, when we come to Jesus Christ and we are made a new creation, and we are given the responsibility of being ministers of reconciliation, we also are entrusted with time and resources, more than money. We're entrusted with children, with relationships, with people inside and outside the church. So the question I want to ask this morning is, what kind of babysitter are you? What kind of babysitter are you? Well, in the context of what Jesus is talking about, he's asking this, are you ready? Are you ready? And in Luke 12, in the preceding verses, or in the proceeding verses, in verses 32 through 34, Jesus says this. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So in verse 45, instead of using the master's resources to feed and care for the other servants, he begins to use them on himself. Not only that, but he begins to abuse the other servants, the very people that this servant should be looking after and caring for. So in the context of these verses, I want to propose to us this morning that there's really two ways in which, and there's more than two, but there's two ways specifically I want to look at today. Number one is this, is stewardship. And number two is care for others. Stewardship being realizing that everything we have belongs to the Lord and that we are entrusted with the things that we have to use for God's purposes and God's kingdom. And the enemy of both, the enemy of both stewardship and care for others is this. It's the American dream. It's the idea that we trade up. It's the idea that we go bigger, we get more, we get all that we can. It's this idea that we deserve more and better, that we've earned it, that it belongs to us, that it is my dream, it is my things, it is my stuff, and it's the very enemy of kingdom living. Now the hard part for this, and the hard part for me, the hard part for us I believe is this, is that it's the things that, that keep us from being ready aren't necessarily sinful things. It may be sinful things. But the hard part for us in this, in the American dream even, is this. These things aren't sinful in and of themselves. It's not sinful to have a four-bedroom house versus a three-bedroom or a two-bedroom. It's not sinful to have a car that's newer than 10 years. It's not sinful to have a TV or to have the internet at your house or to have a computer or a camera or a garage. 
These things aren't sinful in and of themselves. But, but, the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Is it wise and does it prevent us from being ready? Does it prevent us from being ready? Here's what I mean. Everything that we own has two price tags. The price that you pay to get it, whatever it is, maybe you're working for something or you're purchasing something with your dollars, and then the opportunity cost of the things that you have to give up to get what you wanted. And so, for, for instance, for me, if I wanted to join a basketball league that plays five nights a week, the cost wouldn't just be the fact that I'm playing basketball five nights a week and the time and energy it takes to do that. There's also the opportunity cost that I, I place to not have time with my family and my kids to be at home. There's a cost to me being there energy-wise, and there's also a cost to my family that I'm not able to be with them, I'm not able to spend time with them. There's two costs. And if I say yes to things like a bigger home, a nicer car, more inexpensive vacations, then it may mean that I am having to say no to other things. And these things, like I said, aren't necessarily sinful in and of themselves. They're good things. And if Jesus showed up at our home, if Jesus showed up at our home, what would we be embarrassed by? The movies we own, our movie queue on Netflix, time we spend on the computer, maybe our search history on Google, the amount of time we spend on hobbies. Like I said, those things aren't sinful, but they keep us from being ready and alert. And so often if we, if we spend all our time pursuing and working hard for the bigger home, the nicer car, it may mean that when the time comes for us to be ready to give towards something like a church plant or a missions endeavor or whatever it may be, that we don't have the money to do those things because we spent it elsewhere. And so there's this, there's, this, there's this thing that I want us to look at today. Is it wise? Is it wise for us? Are we wisely spending and using the resources that God has entrusted us with? And it's different for everybody. I can't say to you, you know what, it's wrong to have a four-bedroom. It's wrong to have a five-bedroom. It's wrong to have a two-bedroom. It's wrong to have a car that was built in 2005 or whatever it may be. It is different for everybody. But the question is, are we seeking and relying upon the Lord to give us wisdom to make those decisions? And when that time comes and He calls upon us to do those things, are we ready and willing to lay our lives down for the things that He is calling us to? That's the question. That's the hard part. Like I said, it's not just sinful things that we're talking about. When we come to Jesus Christ, it changes everything. There's new priorities, there's new loyalties, there's new identity, there's new lifestyle. And this call that Jesus gives in our lives, it demands a reordering of our priorities. It, it demands a complete loyalty shift. As we think about these things, God is calling each one of us to completely abandon our own way of thinking and to adopt His way of thinking. To take on His life, His purposes, His desires for things. To see things with His eyes. To prioritize the things that He prioritizes. And so this is the call for each one of us. It demands a reordering of everything. And just like the day that Michelle and I got married, and I said yes to Michelle, 
I also said no to everything else. Every person, everything had to fall in line with this priority of Michelle in my life. That meant we don't keep the ex-girlfriends on speed dial. We get rid of all those things, right? There's a complete loyalty change in that moment that changes the rest of your life and it never goes back to the way it used to be. When we come to Almighty God, when we come to Jesus Christ, He didn't say, you know what, why don't you come to me and keep all those ex-girlfriends on speed dial or stay friends with them on Facebook or whatever it may be. He says, you know what, when you come to me, there is a complete change in everything. The way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we view other people, the way we view ourselves, the way we participate in church, the way we participate in community, it changes everything. And Jesus, in his kindness and his mercy today, is calling each one of us to be ready at the drop of a hat to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever you'd have for me, I say, yes, Lord. Whether you are calling me to go on a missions field, I say, yes, Lord. Whether you are calling me to pray with a person in the emergency room at the hospital, I say, yes, Lord. Whether it be you're calling me to support financially a church plant, I'll say, yes, Lord. And it's different for everybody. Whether it's to share the gospel with a person that lives next door to you or works in the cubicle next to you or with your family member, that we would say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. I've made, I've made you a priority in my life. And because of that, everything else has to fall in line with what you want and you have for my life. That is our call as believers in Jesus Christ. Not just because we have to, but because he is more glorious and magnificent than anything else in this world. And so everything else that would seek to hold a candle against Jesus Christ falls pale in comparison to his glory and his majesty. And that we in our lives would say, Lord, I want more of you in my life. I don't want anything to come between me and you. I don't want any possession, any hobby, any relationship to get in the way of my relationship, my primary relationship to you. And so that means everything else falls in order because this is the way in which we experience and see Almighty God moving and and, and, and working in us and in our lives. And that is what we want, isn't it? Don't we want to be people who are ready? Don't we want to be people who belong to Jesus Christ that says, Jesus, because you are so valuable, because you are so glorious, because you are so majestic, that I will reorganize and prioritize all of my life around this single passion, and that's you. That you would be our passion. That you would be our everything. And the good news in, in the gospel, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he takes us from where we are and brings us to himself and says, I will give you the strength and the grace to do this. You cannot do this on your own. I can't do this. I can't reprioritize my life on my own. I can't do those things. It takes the power of Almighty God to do that in me. And so not only is he the end, but he's also the means by which we can do this. He's also the means that his power, that through his spirit living and dwelling inside of us, would strengthen us and empower us to live and be as those who are ready 
for the master to return. Those who are ready that no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, we are the people of God who say, yes, Lord. I say yes to you in all its, in all its ways. That we would be those who are dressed and ready. As we close, I want to just ask a couple of questions for us. What do we need to reorder and prioritize in our lives? What is it in our lives that has been a place of stealing and robbing us from really being able to serve Him? I was talking with someone a week or two ago, and they're a college student, and they feel maybe a call to go on the missions field. And there's some school debt associated with the education that they've gotten. And my advice to him was this, look, what's really important for you, this mission field thing is, is, is excellent. And we affirm that, that desire that God maybe is giving you, but you need to get rid of that debt first because that debt's going to prevent you from really being able to fully give yourself on the missions field. And so tackle that debt, get rid of that debt, then you'll be free to go wherever God calls you to go. You won't be tied up by a job. In the same way for us, Maybe there's things like debt in our lives that prevent us from being able to give when God calls us to give. Or to go on a missions trip because we haven't been able to save for, for a missions trip. It cripples us from being able to even go on a missions trip. That may be just a practical way in which we make ourselves ready. That we'd begin to say no to the shopping mall or going out to eat more or whatever it may be. What do you need to do in order to be ready? My other question is this, do you know the master? Have you surrendered your life fully to him? Have you received the soul-cleansing forgiveness that he alone offers to us? And it's not just that we know about God, but that we ourselves have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what fuels and drives everything we do. It's not just about knowing, it's not just about a religious experience that we have, it's about a relational, relational experience that we have with Jesus Christ. And that is we come before Him in faith, believing that He's forgiven us of our sins and died on the cross for us, and that He rose again, and we surrender all of our life to Him. We give Him everything. In this week of prayer and fasting, this might be a great way for each one of us in different seasons, different ways, to really surrender our lives to Him afresh. Really ask Him to speak to us about what are the things that we need to reprioritize and reorder in our lives that we would be those who are ready and not crippled and not held back by anything in our lives. Maybe good things, but things that would prevent us from being ready. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning, God, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that directs speaks, that reveals, and now we pray as, as your people, as your church, that you would give us the grace and the strength to participate this week, to seek after you this week, and Lord, even this morning, I pray that you would, you would reveal areas in our lives that we need to surrender to you, that we would begin to pursue and know your ways, and that we would be found ready for whatever you're calling us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.